It's Friday, January 31st. I'm Martine Powers. This is an election update from Post Reports. The way I described it to somebody I I know was that it's basically just this giant game of musical chairs happening all around the state. He's holding the baby she was born yesterday, and she says, we have to go vote for your future. It's really awesome, and I mean, who comes to Iowa for, you don't come to Iowa for anything other than the caucus. You can tell the hype and excitement, um, the buzz in the city, yeah, uh, you know it's near. (laughs) The Iowa caucuses are a very long tradition. Kayla Epstein has been reporting on the Iowa Democratic caucuses, happening on Monday. They're this very organic form of democracy. It's literally people gathering in homes. We are at a hotel, actually. Gymnasiums and rooms. We're Muslims. We are going to do it at the mosque. To physically vote with their feet for who they want to be the next president of the United States. And just to start things off, tell me about how people in Iowa feel about the Iowa caucuses. Iowans cherish their first-in-the-nation status, and they understand the responsibility that that comes with. And so Iowa voters are really engaged. I don't know how old I was, but I was in elementary school, and there was an election. I did not know what was going on whatsoever, but I had a T-shirt for a candidate. I saw someone speak and made a poster. It's very much a part of Iowa's political culture. There are critics of the Iowa caucus, both in the state and outside of it. But for the most part, this is just such an old-school, time-honored tradition. And the parties will tweak the rules for each election, depending on what they need to do or how they feel they need to adjust from the last time. But for the most part, the process has stayed pretty much the same for a very long time. But the problem is, is that for people outside of Iowa, the process seems really confusing. I think that most people, if you were to ask them on the street, how exactly does the caucus work, they wouldn't necessarily be able to tell you. The Iowa caucuses absolutely are confusing. I'm the one who wrote the explainer for the Post, and I still had to do a ton of research. And even I'm not a 1,000% convinced that I will ever fully understand it. Caucuses, you have to actually show up at a location at a designated time. There is a proceeding that begins, and then you start voting. And you have to be there until your vote is basically cast. And it's not like a primary where you can just fill out an early voting ballot if your state does that, or you just show up at the polls whenever you can, giving you more time. You have to be physically at the voting location at a caucus on the night that it is scheduled. This year, they're going to happen on February 3rd. That is next week. And they start at 7 p.m. Eastern time all around the state, and they will go for however long they go. So once you get there at 7 p.m. on the night of the caucuses, what actually happens. So in Iowa, you show up at around 6.30 for your 7 o'clock caucus. You sign in. You hear some speeches from party representatives. You're going to hear some speeches from the campaigns making last-minute pitches for their candidate. There will be members of the different campaigns running around trying to persuade you to vote for their candidate to join their group. There's going to be some official party business, and then you're going to get to voting. And how does the voting work? Like, if people aren't just casting ballots, then what does the voting look like? So in Iowa, it's pretty cool. You physically go and stand in a group with other supporters of your chosen candidate. I'm right now, I think I'm pretty solidly in Warren's camp. Uh, Sanders, yeah, Bernie. Yeah, yeah. I'm still undecided. I might not decide until the moment I walk into the caucus. 
There will be a designated space for you to go gather with other supporters of the candidate that you support. On the Democratic side, this happens in two rounds this year. They're called alignments. And so in the first alignment, they can go stand in a corner with other supporters of the candidate they have chosen, or they can remain uncommitted for the first round of voting to sort of see the lay of the land and see how other people are performing. If you get 15% of the people at the caucus site, you're considered something called viable, which means that you're safe. If you don't get 15% of the vote, you have the chance to win over more voters in a second round to hit that viability benchmark. You're considered non-viable in the first round if you don't hit 15%, but that doesn't mean you're out yet. Voters will go around trying to win people over in the second round, and well-organized campaigns will also have representatives there trying to win people over to join their side. I think that if we realign, I will. I would definitely move to Sanders. Man, I like Andrew Yang, but he's got a long way to go. If not, I'm going for uh, Joe Biden, and the reason I go for him because... I have a feeling that he'd be, he be the one that goes against Trump and they will win. Honestly, I'll take anyone. <laughs> so you're open to moving over if you have to? De- definitely. Definitely, yeah. And so at the end, is there just a person who's in charge of counting how many people are standing at each particular spot in the room? Yeah. So after each round of alignment, the voters with each group will be counted. So imagine you are an Andrew Yang supporter. In the first alignment, if, you know, they count your group and you've got 15%, you're good. You can chill. You might be able to get more people in the next round, but you're safe. For the groups that haven't made the 15% threshold, then they're going to have to do some hustling in the second round. So people will actually physically go up to you and be like, you may think that you want to vote for Andrew Yang, but look at the amount of people here. There's not enough people for him to actually be a nominee. Like, you need to come over and stand with Elizabeth Warren because, like, that's the only way that your vote is actually going to count. Yeah, so you're going to have stuff like that in the second alignment. Like, say the voting begins, and in the first round, Andrew Yang only gets 10% of the total people at that particular caucus site, which means that he is not viable. He's not safe yet. And so there's a second round. And what you can do at that point is you can try and win other voters to your side to help get Andrew Yang to 15%. So you can try and win over some uncommitted voters You can try and lure people away from candidates who also aren't viable that are still up for grabs. You have the option of saying, it doesn't look like Andrew Yang is going to get the support he needs at this caucus. I'm going to go join Joe Biden's corner. I'm going to go join Bernie Sanders's corner. And by the time that second alignment ends, if all goes well for you, Andrew Yang suddenly has 15 percent of the caucus goers at that site. He is considered viable. He gets delegates from that caucus site. If he does not hit that 15% threshold by the time the second voting round is done, he's not viable. He doesn't get to hang on to his delegates. That's crazy to me because I feel like the whole point of or the whole way that that we do secret ballots in, in primaries or in any other type of voting is that you're not supposed to be like actively campaigned to while you're there about to cast your vote, right? They want to keep people far away. And the idea that you can just be standing there and then members of the campaign come up to you and are like actively convincing you to walk someplace else. And it's not just members of the campaign. It's like other supporters. It's people in other groups who are like, no, 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 come to us. Or people who are like, their candidate might not have been viable. So they're like looking around for another candidate trying to see who they should support in the second round. That was always the best part of the process, trying to persuade people once you had made your commitment to come over and join your, your part 
were there are there like things that you would say to convince people to come over to your side? Um, I've known you for so long. We've been in class together. That was you know when I was in graduate school. You're a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Also, what happens if you're a registered Iowa voter and you want to participate, but you are living somewhere else or you're in school or you want to vote absentee? Like, is there a way to vote absentee in this process if you're supposed to physically turn up to this location at 7 p.m. on the night of the caucus? That's another important change the Iowa Democratic Party made this year in order to make the Iowa caucuses more accessible to everyone. They're going to have these things called satellite caucuses in the state, outside the state, and in a couple foreign countries, where Iowans who can't get to their designated precinct in Iowa to participate in the caucus can participate in a satellite caucus. Wait, so they actually go to a place in another country to vote in Iowa? Yeah, we're going to have a satellite caucus in Washington, D.C., most likely. There's going to be satellite caucuses at a few different colleges around the country, There's going to be satellite caucuses in Florida and Arizona, where a lot of Iowans who are snowbirds go to live. So there are international locations that are scheduled to hold caucuses for Iowans, including uh, expected in Paris and Glasgow. That's bananas. I think they should send me to cover that caucus. So once we reach the end of this process, is a winner declared immediately? Like, what happens after everyone makes their votes? So what we're going to learn from the Iowa Democratic Party this year are four really important stats. We're going to learn how many votes each candidate got in the first round of voting. We're going to learn how many votes they got in the second round, which will show us how candidates might have changed their performance over the two, which will be interesting. And then we're going to get something called state delegate equivalents. Because voters aren't actually directly voting for a candidate. They're voting for state delegates that get allotted to that candidate. So so they're basically voting for people to represent them when it comes to the convention and represent who they wanted as the nominee. Yes, exactly. And that number called state delegate equivalents gets reported out. Whoever gets the most of them is considered by the press, by political watchers, by the campaigns as the winner of the Iowa caucus. The Iowa Democratic Party isn't actually going to declare a winner here. Something that is going to be different this year is that we are going to know the number of national delegates that each Democratic candidate gets from Iowa. Iowa is not winner-take-all, so their national delegates can be divided up among different candidates. And usually we had to wait a few months to get that number because the state had to have all these party conventions and do some math. But this year, as soon as the Iowa Democratic Party has all of the results— It might not be on election night, but it should be soon after. We're going to know how many national delegates each candidate has gotten from Iowa. So why are the Iowa caucuses so important in the primary process? Basically, the Iowa caucuses are incredibly important because they are the first. This is the first time that people are actually going to vote for a presidential candidate. After months and months and months of campaigning, we're finally going to start to see results. Since Iowa's first, and it's been that way since the rules were changed after the 1968 Democratic Convention, candidates look to Iowa as a place to sort of cement their status as a frontrunner. And we saw past presidents like Jimmy Carter and Barack Obama do this. They went all in on Iowa, won, and then established themselves as really serious candidates. Winning Iowa or finishing high in the Iowa caucuses shows that you have the strength to continue on, shows that you're a serious candidate, 
and helps propel you forward in the primary, whereas a poor showing in Iowa is usually an indication that your campaign's not really going to go the distance. But is it really fair to to make big prognostications about how candidates are going to do once we see how they do in Iowa? Because Iowa demographically is very different from the rest of the country. And I think that even the the caucus process speaks to how different it is from how votes will be taken and gathered elsewhere on Super Tuesday. So how can people say that, like, if you do well in Iowa, that means good things for your ability to do well in the rest of the country. If everything about the process in Iowa is different from how we see things happen elsewhere. And that's a really important critique of the Iowa caucuses that aren't new, but we've also heard it this year from candidates like Julian Castro, who dropped out of the race, who raised this long-held critique that Iowa's not a very diverse state. It's 90 percent white. And that just isn't reflective of the makeup of the Democratic Party. And so there are people like Castro, like others, who ask why Iowa should get to hold on to its first-in-the-nation status when the Democratic Party is actually much more diverse than the Iowa electorate. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is that Iowa comes first. Historically, in politics, in U.S. politics, a victory there has meant a lot. And that's why you see presidential candidates spending so much time in Iowa ahead of the election. Hello, Iowa City! Thank you, everybody! You see them going to the state fair. You see them door knocking. This is the fourth day of driving around a snowy Iowa in a bus. Now, I'm always always asked by everybody here in Iowa, God, are you used to the cold yet? You see them holding these small house parties where they're trying to woo over supporters. I'm here one more time to ask you to caucus for me. A lot of face-to-face time. I'm not kidding. I love this so much. And so unless the Democrats really reshuffle the primary calendar, um, I was going to continue to remain very significant for presidential candidates, whether people want it to be or not. Kayla Epstein is a reporter for The Post. The interviews you heard with voters in Iowa were gathered by Ariel Plotnick, an audio producer for The Post. That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening.